0: What's going on everybody, welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno Podcast, where everyone has a story, and everyone's story matters. What's your story? If you'd like to support the show and help us tell more stories like the one you're about to hear, please visit crazyfaceuno.com today. There, you can purchase items from our online store, and donate. As always, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It is my honor and privilege to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Susanna Hendricks. Welcome, Suze.
1: Hi, Shane. Thank you. Quite the intro. I feel like it's I'm like walking into like a circus tent.
0: <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's a circus here at Crazy Face Uno. All day, every day. <laughs> Suze, uh, Susanna, I'm probably gonna call you Suze all podcasts, so listeners, same person. Susanna, Suze. Um, we've known each other for quite some time
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, you are one of my favorite people
1: same
0: and I don't know it's it's uh it's funny how certain people come into your life and impact you in ways you had no idea and uh, yeah. you're definitely one of those people you've 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 impacted my life in so many ways and and I'm so grateful to have you on the show so thank you again for for coming on and I'm uh, excited to be able to share a part of your story today.
1: No, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a total pleasure, and you know, I was actually thinking about it today when I was uh, just like preparing yeah. to do this with you, and I was like, we've known each other like right under ten years. Isn't that crazy? It's a long, it's a long time, and yeah, but totally a joy, and really, really proud of all the content you're creating. So, thanks for inviting me, and excited to just contribute however I can.
0: Awesome. Yes. Suze, we first met at Invisible Children. Real shocker for everybody out there, I know. <laughs> surprise, um,
2: surprise. <laughs> yeah.
0: You came in um, kind of in the middle of a, of things, right?
1: Kind of. I, I started three days after like training had begun January 2011, which in Invisible Children time to other people felt like it was, it was like weeks. <laughs> but it yeah. was three days. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So that's probably why it felt like so long. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we met uh, Invisible Children. You came in. I remember you coming into the roadie house, uh, which mm-hmm. was packed to the gills and uh, quite a shocker for anybody unexpecting uh, the amount of people and the setup.
1: I thought I had joined a commune <laughs> on accident.
0: No, well, you kind of did. <laughs> I
1: did. <laughs>
0: Um, and you you jumped in um, you were working specifically on a very important event that we had at invisible children that's kind of how you came in correct
1: um, yeah I mean kind of I so I started on what became the movement team like movement intern right. team but I um, oh, yeah. jumped in that's on right. like supporting like <laughs> tours and then and worked on the 25 event and campaign mm-hmm. that spring and then had like interviewed to be to stay and work on the first fourth estate summit and was supposed to be just responsible for the like education breakouts. And then I left for a weekend and came back and I'd been put as like the event manager.
0: So right. it
1: was a little right. bit of a pivot. Yeah.
0: That was, yeah, that's right. It, you, you reminded me, I, sometimes I forget the like timelines of things, you know, but yeah, we were movement, uh, coordinators or something like that in turn. I don't know lead, I don't know, something along those lines uh, when you first came in. That is right. Um, But, yeah, it's been a while. That was back in the day, probably 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah,
1: different lifetime. But, yeah,
0: 2011. And it's funny because we've we've just been a part of each other's lives since that time, really, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, gone our separate ways. We've got our own things going on in life, but... For whatever reason, we we tend to find our way back to each other and um, consistently staying in touch and supporting each other, and it's it's really it's really special.
1: It really is. I, I got that yeah. I think this. I mean, we'll probably talk about this at some point later too. But the magic I think of invisible children was that you it just attracted these like really special people that like. I mean, we probably would have never all found each other in community had we not been in that experience Mm, together, and yet it just, like, created these, like, extraordinary friendships that I think at the time and in the the act of, like, working together and, like, doing life together and living together that we, like, we knew we had found special people, but it's in the, like, post-life that I think we recognize, like, oh, we actually found, like, just really extraordinary friends and... Mm you have been one of those people for me too, for sure. Like it's been really special to see how we just kind of like, just always kind of find a way back, which I love.
2: Yeah. And me too.
1: you're one of my favorite people in the whole world.
0: Yay. My heart. I'm smiling. <laughs> it always feels, <laughs> it just feels good. It's like those things when you, you know, it feels good when people say positive things to one another. I don't know. It's great. Um, it's true. Suze, fill us in uh, on your life yeah. today. Uh, we caught yeah. up recently last week yeah. and so mm-hmm. you've got some fun things that you're a part of right now uh mindfulness yeah. in
1: yeah for sure yeah it's been a really kind of unexpected year of life um but <laughs> couple i <of> years. <laughs> couple couple years yeah. um, i always think things are going to like slow down or be more normal and they just never are and i'm mm-hmm. like and maybe this is just my life so <laughs> um but i so i moved from Um, like the Southeast and like DC, I'd spent some time in Nashville and DC over the last couple of years. And I moved out West to the Pacific Northwest um, and kind of simultaneously accepted a job with salesforce.org. And um, I'm currently the senior manager producer on our premier events team. So um, yeah, it's been this like total different landscape and learning this new sector. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. It's been really fun. And, Really, and I feel so thankful. My team is incredible, and it's just been really, just really special. Like after my kind of like unconventional career path, to find this like fusion where my like the thing, the organizations that I really deeply care about, and the work that feels really natural to me get to be like combined with an incredible team. So um, that's been amazing. So I'm doing that um, professionally right now, and then
2: yeah.
1: spending a lot of time in Seattle and the Bay Area
0: nice yeah the your work history is pretty cool and you touched on it it's it's uh what it's been an adventure maybe a little bit of a journey but there's a theme uh behind oh, yeah. you know the last several years for sure and mm-hmm. especially in producing events um so you're you're in your yep. wheelhouse working for a very reputable company and um you know we we kind of talked before, and especially in in such uncertain times, you know it's uh it's nice to be to have that solid work foundation you know that uh, a company that you can lean on and and um, you know in these times,
1: oh yeah, absolutely i mean i you know I never anticipated working specifically in the tech sector and mm. but what really like drew me to salesforce and salesforce specifically was. Like, I asked, I mean, many things pulled me to that, but like, just the global impact that they have and want to have. And I remember, like, in my interview process, like, asking who's now my SVP of marketing, like, what is your vision for the team and for our work? And he was like, that every organization that we serve, like, their missions are accomplished, like, full stop. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, heck yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and have been really, just really inspired and thankful. And, and, like, humbled, too, in different ways, like, of just the way that, like, Salesforce leadership has led our sure. company and team, like, through this, like, crisis, for sure. So, it's been, yeah, feel really thankful. And, yeah, for my, just the journey I've had professionally, it's been, it's a neat, it's a neat, unexpected chapter.
0: Yeah, for sure. You, uh, before we kind of move on from this, just yeah. a little disclaimer. Uh, you live with your sister. Your sister is currently watching a movie, but she might need something from you. And so anybody listening, that happens throughout the show. It's probably what's going on. Like all of us, life's a little crazy right now uh, with the COVID-19 and being locked down and whatnot. So um, just wanted to, to give that. Thank you we'll, for that. <laughs> I'm sure there will be a more conversation um, about your living situation and kind of My your sister. sister and your family. Yeah. And as we continue down this road, so. Um, but just for anybody listening, yeah, it's part of life. I so.
1: appreciate the disclaimer. Yeah, any like random <laughs> person dips them nuts, it's my little sister.
0: <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be great. Suze, um, yes. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's throw it back. Let's do it. All um, right. Specifically, you know, kind of looking at childhood.
1: Yeah.
0: How would you describe your childhood? What was What was childhood like for you?
1: It's a great question, Shane McNeely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
0: loaded question, too. Especially, it's a loaded question.
1: Especially I, think, I know, you
0: know where we're going. so.
1: <laughs> I know. I, you know. I think what's interesting is people asking that question, um, most people are always very surprised at mm. my answer. Um, uh, but I, over the years, I think the best way, like when, so, when I'm not like, posing that question to me, like, the thing that comes to mind is, like, if people imagine cheaper by the dozen, so, like, kind of the chaos of, <laughs> like, just cheaper by the dozen, but then, but you actually then mesh like, kind of the gritty, like, raw parts of, like, the story of, like, the glass castle um, yeah. together, that feels like a more appropriate <clears throat> version of my childhood. So my childhood was, gosh, like, in its, at its best, full of, like, imagination, and um, mm-hmm and a lot of movement. Like we moved 13 times before I was age 12. Wow. Um, and no, we were not a military family and really had no reason to be moving that many times. Um, except my, you know, I would say my father specifically, but I would say both parents, you know, but father had like, you know, has some significant like mental health issues. And, uh, that was part of, like just our transient life um, but yeah. we moved a ton I'm one of five sisters and I'm second oldest um, and my older sister is actually 10 years older than I am so I she left home when I was seven and so I I became like big sister really quickly and we had a very just like you know kind of different experience of life but yeah childhood was very transient I just in like kind of initial childhood even over the course of course, like elementary school, I was—I went to private school, public school, I homeschooled. Which homeschooling for me was like third and fourth grade, and my mom essentially just handed me workbooks and said, "Like, go study." And I spent like two years just like writing stories and playing and and just creating like whole little worlds and and rewriting stories I'd heard or read, and just had this like vivid imagination, but didn't really have any like official education. Yeah. Um, over the course of those two years so yeah i mean childhood was pretty chaotic but also like had lots of sweet parts of it um but yeah i always just kind of reference like imagine you were by the dozen and the (laughs) glass castle together yeah lots of
0: girls (laughs) yeah for sure you were one of five you said you were the second oldest what when you look at that and kind of like looking back uh do you fit the one of the oldest kind of uh stereotype
1: oh yeah for sure I think my like most like vivid childhood memories like I have a couple of years where I think I got to be like the little sister Mm -hmm. and kind of fell into that role but then just very quickly became the older sister but I was by nature like a little more cautious a little more responsible like um you know I you know I wasn't like the the most uh, what's the word like I didn't like stir up trouble <laughs> um, so I think by nature yeah I definitely have always kind of fit the like older sibling sure, kind of demographic yeah
0: what would you say were some of your interests as a child you know you kind of touched on it with you know creative and kind of creating things and yeah. the creative side of yourself but what were, what were some of your other interests
1: oh I loved to read but actually that kind of stemmed from not being able to read mm. when I was we moved so much and like education just like wasn't my parents and I'll preface a lot of this by telling this my story, like is in no way like bashing my parents. It's just the yeah. reality of my story. But um education was like not the forefront. So I like kind of missed a lot of my kindergarten, like pre K and kindergarten year. And so by the time I hit first grade, like I really didn't, I couldn't even say the alphabet, like, fully through, and I remember my first day of school um, at this private school, private Christian school in in Portland, Oregon, the class stood up and was, like, reciting the alphabet that was, like, listed around the room, and I could get to, like, G, and I, and then after that, I didn't know what any of it was, and I remember feeling so much, like, shame and embarrassment, and I was the part, I was, like, one voice in a crowd, so, like, very, I mean, no one really noticed, except my teacher did. And she came up to me after class, was or like you know, towards the end of the day and said Susanna, can I ask you a question? And and I just remember it so clearly and I said, Yeah, and she's like, Do you know do you know the alphabet? And I just burst into tears. And like she's found said, me um, out. <laughs> I know. I was like, No, I don't. And I always was like so afraid of getting in trouble. So yeah, um, major rule follower. And so i ended up telling her like I didn't and I didn't know how to read and so that teacher literally worked with me every day um just one-on-one and like no one ever really noticed except me and by the end of the year I was like reading to the class and like leading storytelling group time and and I just like fell in love with reading and so I would say interest as like a kid was just I love story like I've loved it since I was little my my like one of my favorite books as a kid I was like eight was Pride and Prejudice which is very not normal for an eight-year-old um but I just was like in love with just yeah storytelling and imagination and I loved cooking and flowers a lot of things I still love but I think as a kid like I just was and because we had this life that didn't have a lot of like stability or resource I got like creative with like how I used my time and um But yeah, I think it's really, it's fun to see as an adult, like the things that I loved in the beginning, I actually really do still love now.
0: That's cool. You, you mentioned, you know, you've mentioned a couple times now, like being a rule follower.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> and especially at a young age, you know, recognizing mm. that, was that something that stemmed maybe from home or is that just in your DNA? I,
1: I honestly, there's that whole like process or that, you know, thought process of like nurture versus nature. Yeah a hundred percent is nature I and I think part of it was my own sense maybe subconsciously as a kid of like my whole kind of life felt a little out of control not by my choosing so and and you know I had parents who um just were not the most stable and so there was a lot of like reactivity that would happen so I think part of it was like I didn't I didn't want to cause trouble and I also wanted to kind of control the space around me by like, not like not causing more chaos. And mm. so I think that was, that was part of it for me. But I just also just by nature, like I don't, I don't want to like cause, um, I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, pretty I normal. I, have, like, I think, but <laughs> yeah, totally. But just like with more, cautious. but I also had siblings who like push the boundaries a lot. And sure. I just wasn't by nature that way.
0: Were, how was how was your relationship with your siblings as a child?
1: Oh, we were like thick as thieves. I mean, yeah. my older sister, when I was little, so she's 10 years older than I was, like my first memories of her kind of when I'm like four and she's 14. And I mean, I just thought she was a superhero and <laughs> wanted to do everything she did. I have this picture of me as like a two-year-old and, and we're on a beach and she's like, facing me and, like, sticking out her tongue. And I'm just, like, watching her and sticking out my tongue. And just, like... <laughs> it's just like, I that that felt like my kind of early childhood. And um, she, as a teenager, would, like, watch Oprah every day and then watch, like, Young and the Restless. And so yeah. as a four-year-old, that's, like, what I did because I wanted to do exactly <laughs> what Julie was doing. Um, and then my other little sisters, we, you know, we had a really unconventional life together. So we just played a lot. Like, we... Um, yeah, we were really close. We didn't. I mean, we probably. I mean, we bickered probably as normal siblings do, but because we had kind of tough experiences and had to like learn really early how to be yeah. really resilient. Like, I think it bonded us in a in a certain way. Like, our relationship as we got older, I would say, got more difficult. Um, but as kids, we were like, you know, really close and would play for hours, like together. And
0: oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. To see, you know, that that bond, you know, in difficult times, especially, you know, with all the moving, you move 13 times before the age of 12, Um, you know, it's it's definitely one of those things that your siblings can be a blessing in moments like that, I, I can imagine.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they were my best friends. I mean... And then my little sister, um, who we called Gina most of her childhood, but now goes by her first name, Mary. I mean, I was also like a very, I think, took on a more maternal role with her. But like in general, just, yeah, Yeah. we were super close and um, we were enough years apart where I could still be like a big sister, but we could still like have fun together. Yeah.
0: What did you say you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, gosh.
1: Um,
0: (laughs) It's one of my favorite questions.
1: it vacillated are we talking about like early childhood yeah
0: yeah like pre pre pre-adolescence
1: um i wanted to be a cia agent
0: ah nice
1: and i wanted (laughs) to be (laughs) this is why i love
0: this question because you get it you get (laughs) just the whole gamut
1: oh i like deeply wanted to be a cia agent or i wanted and probably equal was i wanted to be a writer I remember my Aunt Martha, who I'm really close to, lives in Portland, and she's this badass woman who, like, has worked. She's, like, the director of wellness for the labor union in in the Northwest, but, like, also is just this incredible, like, crafter and baker and reader and just has had this incredible story. But when I was little, she used to take me like once every couple of months to Barnes and Noble. And it was like my special kind of one-on-one total like focus time that anyone really gave me. And she would like, let me pick out a book and then we'd have hot chocolate and talk about a story. And I just remember being like eight or nine and sitting on the floor of Barnes and Noble and looking at all of these authors and just, and having this moment of like, Oh, I I I want to be one of them. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, I would say CIA agent and a writer.
0: <laughs> Where did CIA agent come from?
1: I wanted to fight the bad guys, Shane.
0: <laughs> I get it. I get it. Who doesn't? Um,
1: yeah. And I think by nature, I had this like really early sense of like there being bad guys in the world, and yeah. I and I think I I innately knew I was kind of like. I knew I was, I knew I was like a smart kid and, um, and I wanted to travel. And, you know, I think there was like this element of like, I didn't totally understand what that's what a CIA agent meant, but my great uncle was an FBI agent and I Mm. think was also probably in the CIA. And I, I think it just, I remember hearing him talk about it once and um, like his line of work. And I think it just sparked this like, Oh, I want to do that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Especially from, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of that corresponds with, the difficulty of growing up and, and knowing that yeah, that things weren't the way
1: they're supposed to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that, you know, it changed. Later, I wanted to be the White House Social Secretary. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, it changed. The dream's evolved. I, but think, yeah, I, I think
0: you should be still. You should definitely huh, still you. keep going for that dream.
1: You know, it is still out there. And once I realized, though, how exhausting their job was, I was like, I actually don't know if I want that anymore. Yeah, um, but I also, <laughs> now that I'm remembering, I think part of, like, the whole, like, law enforcement, whatever mm-hmm. kind of dream that came from was, like, we used to watch, like, Walker, Texas Ranger and shows like that. So I think it was, like, stemming from
2: yeah. this, like,
1: narrative I had built in my head. It's like I was going to go fight the bad guys.
2: That's funny.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a funny. Uh, as, you, as you think about, you know, moving into this adolescent age, you know, middle school, high school
2: mm-hmm. obviously
0: once again, you 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 moved thirteen times before the age of twelve. So before you even got to this kind of like adolescent time frame. Mm-hmm. How you know, how did going into this this time of life, where were you around that time? And yeah. you know, like how did that affect I don't know, just this wild and crazy time of adolescence in general? Um, you know, for for you specifically,
1: yeah. I what's interesting is that season and like kind of age range is when my life really takes like a really significant shift and mm-hmm. just. Um. So we. I was born in the Northwest. I was born in Bellingham, right below the Canadian border, and then we moved a ton, but we're always in the Northwest. Come from this like really large extended family on my dad's side. Um, I mean, like you know, family reunions, like camping trips every year, big Christmases, like mm-hmm. lots of my cousins or my best friends, like just um, really involved and really close to our family. And then we suddenly move, like very quickly over the course of like two weeks, without like really any notice or any kind of preparation. Our parents moved us to Southwest Florida and to Fort Myers. Um, from we were living in Vancouver, Washington at the time, yeah. and we really quickly, right before Christmas, moved to Fort Myers where my mom's mom lived, which who at the time we didn't, we didn't know very well. Um, and so it kind of like starts this really large change in my whole world, like overnight, like, you know, I, I mean, even the journey across country, like it was like, we were essentially running away. We just didn't know that and we Mm. didn't really know why. And, you know, it's a whole another complicated story, but it, even the journey across the country, like, you know, we're in this, I forget the type of van it is, but those, like, old vans from the 80s that were, like, really large and, like, had little fridges inside, but we had one of those, and our parents had, like, I mean, we packed everything, like, all our bags, garbage bags, and, I mean, it was just this long trek, but we drove, you know, down through California and through Louisiana, and then we get to Florida, and I remember getting out of the car, and I was 10, and I think I'd been to Florida once when I was really little, but I get out, and I just had this just like overwhelming sense of like this is the ugliest place i have ever seen and, <laughs> and it's like christmas it's like and i in my future life become like an experienced creator and like the, and i love space and yeah. nature and all these things but like i'm 10 and i'm not like a rude kid like it's just not mm-hmm. my nature but i'm also but i will ask questions and i will push back sure even as a kid and I get out of the car and it's like, it's the week after Christmas, it's warm. There's palm trees, there's sand. I was like, (laughs) where are we? And I, I literally look at my mom and I was like, this is the ugliest place I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember for the first couple of weeks, like the cicadas in Florida, like c- kept me up at night. Like I was like, oh, this wow. t- I mean, my, I was an avid journal or I still am, but like I journaled as a kid and I have all these pages of just like lamenting over the move. And I had to leave the boy I'd fallen in love with. And like,
2: oh, you know, the yeah. bugs
1: were so loud. And like, I just, um, so we, that kind of age really changed our life. Cause then my dad started, essentially like we moved there together really quickly. And then he started traveling back to the Northwest and left us with my mom there. Um, And it just, it just kind of propelled us. Life had been tough in different ways, but it propelled our life into a really hard place because we were really isolated for a long time at first. And then my parents got divorced two years into that. And, you know, my mom really, I mean, was handling a ton on her own. I mean, she Mm -hmm. was a single parent, had four daughters at home. One with special needs you know, like, put herself through nursing school full-time, was working full-time, my dad just yeah. really kind of disappeared, and then we're just in this other part of the country, so far away from our, like, community and network, and um so I, you know, that time period for me, like, I have, my parents' divorce was really, really painful and messy, Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and the summer, it was, like, seventh grade that that happened, and <laughs> the summer that my mom used to say all the time, like, you're the only kid I know that would have done this, but they get divorced in like the early summer and I somehow got recommended for this like really exclusive study at the university of South Florida on the Holocaust, um, for middle school and high school students. And wow. I was like rec- recommended. So I would like commute from <laughs> Fort Myers to Tampa nice. to go to this program. So the summer that my like little world and family blows up, I'm like, commuting to go study the Holocaust and I'm like yeah. paired with a survivor named Sam who's like 66 and his story was like incredible. Whoa. Um, what, what, yeah,
0: what grade were you in
1: did you say? I was in seventh grade. Seventh ninth. grade.
0: Whoa cool.
1: Yeah um, so I mean I would say like as a student I mean I loved school I worked really hard I loved yeah. reading I like you know my favorite classes were like social studies and English and anything that had to do with like art and um, but my family life was just really tough, and mm. um, I really quickly like became the other young parent. It was like the role that I was yeah. put into, and and I think also like life kind of demanded of me. And I remember this super vivid memory of like, you know, I was kind of the leader of play and my with my siblings, and I'm you know maybe thirteen, and my sister Andrea comes in, and you know it's like I want to play, and and I just looked at her and I was like I don't play anymore. And oh, wow. it was this, like, super vivid memory of, like, something changing. And it felt like childhood kind of ended for me. And yet that, like, wasn't entirely true, but that's how it felt. Yeah. And um, so adolescent time was, you know, that was probably one of the hardest seasons because we, as a collective, were super isolated. Um, my mom really struggled with some things. It was also, like, real under extreme pressure
2: and mm-hmm.
1: Um, we were really isolated and, you know, but I mean, I was a part of it, you know, a strong group of friends within my church and, um, worked hard at school, but yeah, adolescence like early was super tough and, um, and, and really quickly just kind of grew up. Like, I think I'd always been kind of on the, on the heels of it, but I, I definitely grew up really quickly in that season.
0: Yeah. Uh, just thinking about the relationships, uh, of people in your life um, mm-hmm. up to this point. You know, I, I, I moved, uh, let's see, a couple times before, you know, middle school. And, and I still, you know, I still look at that and there's still things that that definitely affected me, you know, and, and I think it has affected me throughout the years. Um, but those relationships, you know, moving, I moved when I was in first grade and moved again uh, going into seventh. And so, you know, two really interesting time periods of of life and i remember you know the first move i had was it was dramatic um so you know obviously Mm you moving you know kind of at this age this time of your life you know at this age is is really monumental not to mention the 13 other times that you had already done so yeah. So when I think about relationships and I think about friendships yeah. and how, you know, whether that's family, whether that's my your, your mother, your sisters, mm-hmm. or just at school, who were those relationships that you valued the most at this, at this period mm-hmm. of time in your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I I think it's my answer probably be like twofold. Like my Aunt Martha, who I mentioned earlier, and her husband, my Uncle James, who actually passed away Eight years ago, this last month, mar- just last month, um, yeah. were probably my two most pivotal. Like, I would, you know, like as an aunt and uncle, even though we were, even when we moved, like they were still really present for me, yeah. which felt just kind of like an anchor. And they were kind of the people who, like, you knew, like I knew, because of their consistent presence, that they would always be a consistent presence. And they, like, I think it taught me really early that there were certain people in places that were, like, not not going to stay the same, but they continued to be those people that, like, it didn't matter where we were. Like, I always I always felt that. So the, they were a massive part mm-hmm. of my life, even from afar. And then, you know, I really early, because we moved so much, even if we are moving, like, in within the same city, like, there's this one street in Vancouver, Washington, where – I, I think from ages like seven to nine, we lived in three different houses on the same street. And <laughs> like one, was this like old dilapidated, massive house that my dad yeah. had take, like was redoing. And then we moved to the smaller one and then we moved to another one that was even like more dilapidated which we had two llamas in the backyard at that time.
2: (laughs) Two llamas. uh, That's awesome. Two
1: llamas. Yeah, that's right. My dad was meant to go buy a car at an auction. He had like, you know, a set amount of money. He was meant to buy an auction or a car at the auction. And then instead he bought two llamas. (laughs) (laughs) Just gives a little insight into his reasoning. Um, (laughs) uh, But I would say because we moved so frequently, like my sisters were my closest friends and then, I had one best friend, her name was Heather and Mm -hmm. her name is Heather and we were just so close. And I, and I, and even when I moved to Florida, like we wrote letters to each other for years. Like it was just really special, but my, my friend groups always changed, but there was always like a kind of consistency through it. And I learned really early that I am by nature. Like I love people, but I'm naturally like quieter and more of an introvert. And I knew that really early, but I go like I can get deep in friendship quickly with people, but yeah. I don't like I can know a lot of people, and because of the nature of just how I grew up, like I would meet a lot of people, and I would have to adapt in the spaces, and I and I wanted to be like a friendly person, so I, you know, if I was starting a new school or like being new at church, like I'd be quiet, but I was really friendly, and then I would just kind of decide who I wanted to be my friends, <laughs> and then um, build my little friend group. But I mean, I've you know. Friends, I think, in early life changed often just because of geography, and yeah. and, and so there was like, my and uncle were really important, and, um, you know, it's just my sisters, for sure. Really kind of big, big parts. And my cousins, like, when I was really little, a couple of my cousins, like, Emily and Jess and, and Christina, like, they were, were all within the same age range, and they were my best friends.
0: That's cool. Did you participate in any extracurriculars, you know, middle school, high school?
1: Um, I did, Shane. I was on the dance team in high school. Ooh, so get it, Suze. I, I of, see you. <laughs> um I was like the not the flag team, but the like the dance team with the band. And so mm-hmm. we performed at all the halftime shows. I nice. fun fact was a very conservative Christian as an adolescent and and high schooler because of my family and I quit the dance team because I, someone started a rumor that my dance coach was a Wiccan and she made us (laughs) dance to this song called the devil went down to Georgia, which I performed to. But then I was like, I can't have anything to do with this uh, <laughs> so I, I, with the dance wow. team. Uh, But I loved it, the dance team, and um, so I did that. And then I was really involved in music. I in middle school I played violin and piano and sang, and then in high school I was part of like my church's worship band, and then did and and then did dance. But I really like extracurricular for me was uh, really very much like taking care of my sisters for most of those years.
0: Yeah, we're. You know, you talked about being a very conservative Christian, you know, upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you lean on that at that young age? You know, did you have those relationships in the church? You know, that's oftentimes, I think, a, a place that people really find that community or find their place. Was that something you found at a young age?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, it is really interesting when I look back at my story because. My parents were very conservative Christians, like, very charismatic. It was, you know, very religious, and that's all I knew, and I think there was, like, the order of it kind of made sense to me, like, nature, to my nature, and, but yet I really had never doubted that I believed God was real and had, had, like, my own personal, just, like, spiritual experiences as a kid, like, so those really tied me into the church, and when we moved to Florida, we started going to this church, um, which I went to all through middle school and high school um, and some of those friends are still people I'm in touch with and really love and care about but when my parents got divorced my mom stopped going to church but I still kept going so Mm -hmm. it was still this like really massive cornerstone of my life and it's like that's where I was like the most involved was within my church I mean I was there like three or four times a week but I mean it and at that time it was like you know if my mom you know she's a single parent working full-time like if I couldn't if she couldn't help facilitate me getting somewhere, like I was a resourceful kid and like figured out how to, how to get there. But um, yeah, my faith definitely in my early days for sure, like directed a lot of how I engage with the world and, you know, was like a, a major, yeah, it was a huge part of my life. But I mean, I was so conservative that like when I was 16, my, I was, well, I was on the worship band in my youth group and I had to sign a contract that I wouldn't date, that I wouldn't, drink but i wouldn't wear uh tank tops that like were um less width than two inches and i wouldn't kiss boys Ooh. and i took it so sounds seriously. like my college experience <laughs> yeah <laughs> just 100%. kidding that kind of <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. I mean, I took it so seriously that when I was 16, I went to visit my older sister in Seattle, who at that time was like 26 and like living in Capitol Hill and living this like super fun 20s yeah. life in the city, and takes me and kind of gets me into this dinner event and gets like gets me a cocktail, right? Sure. And and most 16 year olds would be jazzed, right? Like so excited, and it's like this blue cocktail, and I remember looking at her and saying like julie what is this and she's like it's a cocktail and and she's thinking she's like won the big sister lottery yeah, right? right Like she's like the cool sister and i like hand it back to her and i was like julie i cannot drink this <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you're like what am i gonna do with my other hand you know like come on one's totally. empty come on yeah that's uh it's funny because you know I, I grew up in a very similar you know we've we came from yeah. similar backgrounds yeah. in, in similar, this, yeah, for sure in this uh specific topic but um but it's very much the thought process or, or I don't know I, I I think a lot of my like rule following that I do and even I think even my uh my rebellious side all stems from maybe the same root and and some of it is that you know conservative Christian upbringing for sure Mm -hmm. um it's it's interesting to see how that plays out throughout your life
1: oh absolutely I mean and for me it was like this it it was this interesting tension because it a lot of it was like this personal experience I'd had just as a human on my own of like just really feeling this presence that like I connected to and then and then also having this like deep indoctrination that like right that just solidified this like you know, my world's in chaos, and yet there's these, like, rules to follow, um, and, I mean, I told but I totally walked away from the church and like, my- and, like, my Christian faith when I was 18, but, like, when mm. I was 17, my mom had, like, a really massive, what we refer to as episodes, um, mm-hmm. and she had many of them, but she had a really major one, like, two weeks after my 17th birthday, mm. and I was a junior in high school, and she kicked me out, and mm. there was no, there was no, like actual reason for it like I was folding laundry she'd come in to talk to me about something and I'll never forget it like you could always tell like when her like something had shifted for her and yeah. she saw something like fall on the ground and it just like tweaked her for whatever reason yeah. and she had just like really had a major moment and then kicked me out and so my high school life changed really quickly like I was you know really involved and was a good student but I you know I was managing like church life and home life and
2: yeah.
1: really involved in taking care of my sisters and then because of this just episode that happened i then like out on my own and trying to not figure out kind of next steps and so just within my faith it was interesting because I had all these like deep beliefs of what I experienced like, thought would happen in life, like, I, yeah. you know, I had these people, like, especially in high school, I feel like is where kind of my champion started to appear, like, middle school was pretty, like, I had, you know, friends, parents, like, friends, parents throughout like my entire life have yeah. really been this, like, sweet grace that I've experienced over and over, and um, I think in place of, like, my aunts and uncles who, like, weren't geographically close to me, and... But in high school specifically like my best friend in high school Pedro his mom Ramona became just like a mentor and a safe place my best friend Alicia and her family were this just like total safe haven I mean I have so many memories of nights that I would drive like clear across like I think it take like 40 minutes from my house to her house and like late at night when it had been like a really hard night at home and just needed to be somewhere that felt calm and she had like a mattress that she was just like had under her bed for like a little film pad and I would like roll in and her parents were like whenever you need to come you just come and I would just like I would just drive in pull out the pad sleep on her floor and you know so my yeah but my faith was like such a big part of it my church community was a huge part of it and then my world kind of explodes again when I'm 17 and all always like really big decisions really quickly and it is also when I saw what I believed of the church, what I believed of God, what I believed of, uh, what people and how people should be there, like, didn't happen. Mm. And I felt, like, really betrayed um, by God and, like, by this faith that I had, like, I mean, so devoutly, like, I mean, I hadn't even kissed a boy. I mean, I was, like, so devout. (laughs) And it was, like, I, I mean, I had followed every rule. And I remember being, like, 18. I had just turned 18, and I was, like, standing at the like edge of the beach late at night, which is like one of my favorite things to do, and I was like screaming at the sky and was just like, "You don't show up, and your people don't show up, and I'm no. done." And it was like a really honest. I like, yeah. I did everything I was told to do, and still didn't work. So, um, that's kind of a little bit of that experience for me. But yeah, I yeah. high school, I really had amazing people, and simultaneously, like my faith was a huge part of my life.
0: You've reached this point, you know, right. in your life uh, up into this point where, you know, it's just been kind of chaos, a lot of turmoil, you know, a lot of yeah. things have been up in the air. What what comes next for you? You graduate high school, you go through this, you know, this crazy first, what, basically 18 years, 17, 18 years of your life. Yeah. And what, what's next? It's like... The world is wide open for you, right? There's just so much <laughs> going on, but yet there's a lot of. I can imagine a lot of heaviness that just kind of weighs yeah. on your shoulders and on your heart, and um, as you as a person. So mm-hmm. what came next?
1: Yeah, I you know so my like get kicked out at seventeen, and my aunt, and uncle, um, and Portland who I mentioned offered and really asked me to come to Portland and I'd finish high school kind of at a normal pace and they would sure. you know, be my family and take care of me and you know I always there's times where I'm like I wonder what would have happened if I had said yes to that invitation mm. and the offer um but my my mom was in a really manic state and I felt way too responsible and appropriately responsible for my siblings but I but I felt that deep responsibility so yeah. I thankfully a friend's parents were so gracious and they just opened their home and guest room to me. And, and then there was some things that happened with school and I was able to graduate a year early. So I just like spent the rest of my junior year, mm. like doubled down on work and I graduated a year early and stayed close. And then, you know, really didn't know what to do because I had just been like thrown into adulthood. Yeah. Um, you know, I, without any sort of roadmap or guidance and, was having really chaotic and really dysfunctional like situations happen with my mom and I didn't have a relationship with my dad and, um, and just these really painful big things. And I, and I could have had like a shelter in Haven, but I, and if I'd gone to the Northwest, but I couldn't reconcile within myself, like letting my sisters be, that alone. And in hindsight I, I've never regretted that decision. I just always wonder like what would it have been like if I had yeah if I had gone and just been a kid, you know. Um, but I stay I stayed in Fort Myers where we lived for another like year and a half I, I was like a server at a really great like grill that made great ahi tuna salad and nice. really I just like good worked right now, it the was way. <laughs> really good <Yeah. laughs> I worked really hard I had good friends I like my friend's parents again just like kind of swooped in and were like just my champions and and kind of came around me in that season and um, but I didn't really know what to do next but I thankfully had been as a freshman in high school been awarded like a tuition paid scholarship for all of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knew that I could go to school, which felt like such a gift. And, and then ended up at 19 going to the university of West Florida in the panhandle um, North, which was both beautiful and tough. Cause like when I was 18, my mom again went through a season where she had like really, really aggressive episodes and both of my sister's, Two of my younger sisters ran away multiple times and came to, like, live with me, and this, like, I, it was, it was near a college campus, so kind of, like, college dorm apartments, but I wasn't at the college. It was just a person (laughs) living in the same age range, and they came and, like, crashed on my floor for, like, weeks at a time, and so, I mean, I almost had to, like, go to court to get custody of them, and so it was just this really interesting season of life where I was, like, I didn't have a lot of, like, direct guidance of, like, this is what you do next, or, Mm. like... I just knew that my life needed to be more and bigger, and, and so I ended up going to school when I was 19, and, and then. Where was at? North, uh, University of West Florida, and okay. the Panhandle in Pensacola, nice. and found, it was a very white, like, southern, kind of, I mean, there's a lot of people from Alabama that go there, and somehow found, like, myself in, like. like the only pocket of diversity that existed on campus and my whole friend group was like from brazil jamaica the bahamas yeah it was just really fun and special but yes i I went to school and you know i was really on my own though i you know i was also unknowingly because i didn't have language for it yet like really depressed and had just had really hard you know young life and I think but was but and by nature I really believe like an internal optimist and so like was really grounded in this sense of like hope and positivity that had Mm. just always carried me but like and I knew I was like a survivor but I I was depressed and I just didn't I didn't know it and but I was working full-time going to school full-time and didn't really have like a direct like a mentor, like there's people who are yeah. like engaged in my life, but I didn't have like a parent, you know, like I right. didn't have, no one taught, like showed me how to open a bank account or like, how do you balance your checkbook or sure. this is how you buy insurance or like no one ever did that for me or with me. And so I was trying to learn kind of walking blind and so went to school, but I had this like deep love of hospitality from like as early as I can remember, like even mm in high school, like my mom is in or middle school, actually my mom is in nursing school at this local community college where we lived. And I, it was when AOL dial up was a thing. And I would, I remember like, as it like, you know, the lines, you could hear the line connecting as it searched for things. And I would, I was, I would Google like who planned the white house galas and like, who was in <laughs> charge of like these beautiful balls. And, yeah. um, was just kind of fascinated by what, space could do and so and I didn't really have a lot of direction so I spent a whole afternoon at a Barnes and Noble my freshman year of college and looked up like every degree I could find to figure out like what do you do with these like you know Um, and ended up discovering that I wanted to run beautiful hotels which I thought I, I kind of knew but then to kind of set my course educationally to major in interpersonal and organizational communication. Cause it just mm. resonated. Um, and I'm really thankful that I like kind of leaned in that way, but I was in school for three years. I actually didn't graduate cause I took a break. I'd gone back to South Florida um, in my third year and um, just realized I had this kind of like out of body moment, which I think a lot of people probably have at different points in life. And yeah. mine just happened really early and, I think that there was a part of me that was kind of coming out of this like survival haze that I had been in. And, yeah. and I remember I was like working at, at an embassy suites and I was the president of the cares committee and,
2: nice.
1: <laughs> at the hotel. And I had you know an apartment and I was going to school and I had like a small group of friends and like, we're sitting at the Outback and everyone's just kind of chatting. It was like my friend group. And I just had this moment where I realized like something in my like soul was dying. I was like, there was like this recognition of like, this is not my life. Like this is not the life I actually was created to live. And I don't know what that life is, but I have to leave. And it was this like very visceral experience. And then within like three months, (laughs) I quit my job, packed up my house, like my apartment, sold my car. And I took a job working for a private hospitality group um, based in the Northeast, but like had a ton of beautiful properties and, an island called um, Mount Desert, and and specifically worked and lived in a small village called Bar Harbor in Maine, um, and that's kind of where I feel like my like own story started. Was mm. like, it was just this. Like, I mean, my whole family was and friend group was just like, "What are you doing?" It didn't make any sense. I was twenty two. It I'd virtually like, hard to get through school, and I was only going to go for the summer, and then come back. And then I just fell in love with it, and. And realized like I I didn't actually really know what I wanted to do as much as I thought, and I also needed to just like experience life again. And and Bar Harbor was I cry literally every time I go back because it's just mm. my favorite place. Yeah. And and that's kind of where I feel like a lot of my story kind of started for as like an adult, as like a young adult. So. If anyone has not been to Bar Harbor, Maine, please add it to your list. It is amazing. It's so beautiful.
0: <laughs> I need. I need to go. You. Oh, it's so we beautiful. should. We should all go together sometime. Bring. We uh, should all go. Yeah. It's bring my everybody. Bucket we can list
1: dream. Show like me have around. A small cabin. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's my favorite place in the world.
0: Suze, up until this point,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it's kind of a theme throughout. It sounds like the really the first good chunk of your life. Uh, A lot of, lot of trauma, a lot of traumatic events, a lot of, just a few. (laughs) Yeah, and it also sounds like you are kind of alone. You know, you you've had these people that have been there. Every great person, every great story has a hero. Mm. Do you feel like you have any heroes up until this point in your life? It's
1: a great question. Up until that point, I would say like my. No, I mean, I don't think there is anyone that felt like the reigning defender, you yeah. know, like there wasn't, there wasn't, I, I mean, very early in my. And I, I mean, I, my story is not like unique to many, many people of having these, like, just like, you know, this like sense of loss of what your parents should be for you and, sure. and, or like what stability evokes for people and like what having like really whole family experiences mean or like having just like just a consistent like consistent people so I think for me when I think back and like look at heroes it's like my aunt and uncle like were a huge part of like, what taught me about, like, consistency and responsibility and yeah. kindness. And, like, so if I had heroes, they were definitely my heroes. Um, but I spent a lot of my childhood away and, like, young life away from them. Um, and so, like, in my young adult life, like, I would say my 20s is when it kind of resurges and, and, and they become, like, again, like, really pivotal yeah. people in my world. But up until that point, I would say, like, my relationship with God, honestly, was, like, my most... Sure my most grounding and my most like, that's where I looked for my most direction. And so when that part of my life kind of felt like it disintegrated, I felt, I did feel like really alone Mm. um, because I had kind of lost my compass. Where,
0: where was your, your mind at this point, your head, you know, it's as long as I've known you, you're one of, you're just a very optimistic, positive person. And uh, it's, beautiful. It really is. You don't have a lot up until, you know, this point in your story to be yeah. really grateful for and, and positive about, you know, I mean,
2: yeah.
0: what, how did you, did you have a positive outlook at this point in time, but how did that come about? What did you do to, to keep that positivity? Was it your faith?
1: I mean, I think a huge part of it. Yes. Like, and I, I, when I think about that specifically and over the years as I've gotten older like and even have started like in counseling for many years like when that question yeah. is, like prompted I'm like I I made a choice like I made a choice I remember making the choice I was 14 and I I had this like very deep feeling and sense of like like when you're in that age group and you're you're watching your peers like fall into drugs or sex or you know addiction or whatever it is or there's like behavioral things it was like I started to understand why that happened because they just needed to feel something or be like in control or Mm. feel like they could they could you know have like agency in something right and I think for me specifically it was like um, I just had this overwhelming sense of like oh that this story that, like, has been crafted around me and for me of of no choice of my own will actually not be my story. Mm. And I decided, like, really viscerally, like, at 14, that, like, the story I had been brought into would not be the story that I created. And I didn't actually know, like, what that would mean. And then I think on the other side of it, like, I did. I just I don't know where it comes from except to just say, like, it just feels like grace. But yeah, I really have never felt... Or, or taken on, like, a victim mentality, and I right. deeply, like, believe, even though I've been exposed, whether it's been professionally or for me, to, like, great trauma and tragedy and, like, like the dark side of the world, I've also been exposed to, like, great light, and I think it's, yeah, I'm really thankful I just have, have this, like, innate sense of hope and, you know even just like my like deep belief in like great like love love and love stories like yeah. it's not is not actually derived from my like childhood experience of great love yeah. right like my parents relationship was chaotic and painful and abusive and you know and yet like I believe in love and like great love so does that answer your question?
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think it does I mean it's very it's very holistic it, it's a uh... There's a lot, you know, I mean, it's it's just one of those time periods of life and, and you made the decision. I think that that mentality of uh, you had a lot of grit, plain and simple, that you for sure wanted to, I don't know, I think it sounds like you wanted to prove the world wrong about who you were, who you are. And it sounds like up until this point, especially, you know, being in Bar Harbor, you're primed to succeed, primed to mm-hmm. um, take off and, and to, to see where life can take you. And it yeah. seems like you're open minded and ready to explore and ready to, to be who you want to be and to take kind of responsibility for that.
1: I mean, I think, but I mean, when I think about like childhood and not having this like, you know, stable or, you know, like idyllic experience, it did equip me with this like tool set and toolkit of like being able to adapt and being able to like acclimate into new spaces and not being like totally restricted to this, this structure of what I thought life should be because I actually didn't have one. Right. So, and I, you know, and I think back to, like, right before Burr Harbor, it was, like, I... There was... No one asked me, like, what do you want to do with your life? Like, what do you mm. dream of? What do you want life to look like? What is it that you are like, you hope for? Like, no one asked me those questions. And yet, like, and I didn't even know to prompt myself with those. So that's, like, moment that I have at 22 where I feel like something actually, like, in my, like, soul was, like, this is not your life. I was, like, oh okay. Like that mm. resonated and made sense to me, but I had no idea what that meant. Um, and all I knew was I had to do like really practical. I needed to be able to work cause I was on my own and I needed to be able to like, you know, make sure that this was like a smart decision and like my basic needs were met. Yeah. And then it was like, okay. So then I like a blindly moved to the Northeast and you know, and then just feels like my world opened up in a different way. And And, and also like had watched my older sister do really hard things and like Mm. brave, really hard things. And I think even if like we weren't close in distance or like even really close relationship at the time, like I still was seeing those things and, and it gave me this like at least narrative of like, oh, I can do things even if I don't actually know what the right next step is, I can just at least try. And so I tried.
0: (laughs) Uh. Up to this point, too, you know, in this specific time frame, where is the rest of your family?
1: Um, Everyone except Julie. Julie never left the Northwest. Okay. Um, everyone's in Florida. So my mom and sister has also been Fort Myers. And so yeah. I'm, like, the first one to kind of really, like, out of that kind of core crew, like, leave. Yeah. And then I go to Maine. And then there, two years later, went to San Diego.
0: How, how did your sisters specifically how did your family your mother your sisters feel about this move and this uh this woman that you're becoming
1: you know i i think at that at that point like and for many years my mom and i had a really hard relationship because you know i'm by I believe like by nature I'm I am kind and patient, but I also like paid a lot of witness to a lot of like really, you know, harmful things and so like didn't let things just kind of fly by and so we had a tough relationship and yeah and also just innately like just the trauma we've gone through. So I there wasn't a lot of dialogue with my mom at the time in that season of life of like, yeah. how do you feel about this? Like it wasn't, I was trying to undo like being connected mm. to that, that world in that life. And it was, and so for my sisters, it was my transition to college was probably way more painful because by this yeah. time now they're like in high school and, um, we hadn't really lived life super close for a while. So they had started to kind of have their own like young adult life. So,
2: yeah.
1: Um, but they, like, my second season, my second year in Bar Harbor, my sister Sarah I'm really close to, like, graduated high school and came to Bar Harbor that summer. And we had this, like, magical summer together. And, mm. um, and everyone at some point came and visited I was there, So people, they were, like, involved in the present. But I don't think any of us knew, like, how significant the mood would be for me. Um, yeah, I think I think we all, including myself, anticipated it was going to be like short season. I was gone and then and then came back and then I just never did. So it just really changed the so kind of the trajectory of where I was headed.
0: What in Bar Harbor? What uh, you know? What transpired to um, really set the tone for the rest of your life as you kind of brought us to this moment
1: I think part of it was that it's just beautiful <laughs> yeah uh, I mean it's just like there's something about the land like the actual physical land of that island that feels really feeling and but from a like you know a different perspective it also just felt like the first place where like there was no label on me mm. there was no like were this person's daughter, you're this person's sister, you yeah. have like survived this, you've done this. No one knew who I was, right? Yeah. And
0: you got to create your um, own world.
1: Yeah, I wasn't the like good Christian girl who like didn't drink and I wasn't the like girl yeah. who left the church and I wasn't I and I wasn't the girl who left school. Like I was just me and that was the mm. first time I'd ever had that container. And and specifically with Bar Harbor, it's like it is literally the epitome of dirty dancing, like the first, <laughs> the, the real one, where like people come from all over and they work and then they just play and have fun. And yeah. so I met people from all over the world and like my first night there felt like I was walking into vers- like a scene of The Shining because I like get there like early May and the property of which I would work out of. Was still like closed for the season, so there's like sheets over everything. They put me in a room. It's like I'm all alone, and then this um like a key staff member who's just a couple years older than I am, Gregory, but like knocks on the door later and invites me to dinner. And him and uh, his friend who came, they both became two of my best friends. Like I met that same night, and I think it just was the first time I felt like I could be like 22. Like I didn't have, I wasn't like carrying all this stuff. And I think part of that was just it gave me space to just kind of like be and, yeah. and play. And I mean, you worked really hard there. Like we worked long hours. It was crazy. I mean, we could visit over the course of the summer. And yeah. then, but it's also the most beautiful place. And then we just get to be outside. And so I would like read and I'd go on sailboats and I'd hike and we'd cook these elaborate meals. And I would dance every Friday night at Carmen Veranda. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, just like. Had a beautiful time, so I think it partially was like the first place where it felt like I, I was getting to drive, the like who am I in the yeah, world?
0: Your own narrative, not
1: like yeah.
0: Where, what, what, what's like the dates? Where, where are we at? Like, at this point in time in your life?
1: Yeah, so we're like, spring 2009, 2019. spring tw- two thousand nine. Okay, when I my when I first get to Pearl Harbor.
0: Okay. So, I mean, really, this was the jumping point before you came to Invisible Children then?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so my second summer in Bar Harbor, I was um, a human resources assistant. So my job was to, like, intake our, like, global staff of, like, I think it was, like, close to 500 people that came to be on our staff every summer.
2: Cool.
1: And so I'm, like, working in my office and I had been a supporter of invisible children even in college like had me a little like college group but like yeah i had actually never been to a screening so i hadn't met anyone from IC before okay. and i get a email just like as a donor about the passing of nate hen and mm. like his story so this is like early fall 2010 and i'm sitting at my desk you know in this place that i love and you know, not really sure like what's coming next like do I want to stay for another season is it time to do something else um and I watched the video that I see made about Nate and the story and it just like shook me to the core I don't know if it was because Nate was my age or if it just like sparked this part of me that had always been really deeply connected to social justice or like a fusion of all of it but it just like totally shook me so I like the next day, applied to be a roadie, which mm. I like didn't get. Thank God, I was, like, <laughs> don't know if I would have been a great roadie. I can't peg and you
0: for for being a roadie, Suze.
1: No, you know what's funny is like for my childhood, I really could have done it, but it's not the it's not the exact experience I would have thrived in. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> so. things
0: that you would have like knocked out of the park. But there's a lot of things I think you would have really not liked about Thanks. it.
1: <laughs> there's a lot of things I would have not liked about it. And, and I think partially, like, that's where I just feel like God and spirit were really gracious to me because I absolutely believe I was meant to be a part of it. But mm. I think actually being a roadie would have been really activating for me. Yeah. Um. And so anyways, I don't get the roadie ship. Think it's just kind of doors closed, but it sparked this, like, what, what do I want to do next? Like, what am I doing? You know, I've been like kind of like, working and playing for two years. Yeah. You know, what is the like direction of my life? And. but then they call me, you know, two months, three months later on like a Friday night. Now that I've like been on staff, I see, I know I was like the last person they called Mm -hmm. and, um, they asked me if I could come and join like the movement team. They're like, it's grunt work. It doesn't pay anything. You know, all of these different, really alluring, (laughs) like selling points and, you know, said, could you be here Tuesday? And I was, I just was really quiet. And I was like, I can't be there Tuesday, but I can be there Thursday. That sounds and just
0: like something someone, like, Invisible Children would say. Like,
1: oh, totally, it's Monday
0: like, at 10 p.m. <laughs> can you be here tomorrow? Like,
1: uh. And I was like, I can't, but I can be there <laughs> two days after. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, January 2011. And then that feels like a whole other part of my just journey in life just like completely opened up and like a story I couldn't have imagined, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it took me getting on a plane (laughs) going across the country, totally blind and being welcomed into this like new space. And yeah, my little adaptable heart kicked in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How did, uh, and this is, you know, this is a uh, I know a lot about you, I know a lot about your story. We've had many long chats and talks, Suze, but I'm starting to like learn more about you um and, and I don't know if I fully understood this like origin story you know this this timeline of your life. how did yeah. invisible children your time there how did that affect your life and and yeah, how did that affect your life?
1: I think part of it was that like. Well, one, I, I think what's interesting about origin stories is that like, it d- also depends on when you like meet people, right? And yeah, what parts of life are like coming out at that time. But I think specifically with, I see, I think, I mean, my first, I would say like six months there, I didn't really feel very like connected to the people. I felt mm. very connected to the mission. Yeah. Uh, so like, I didn't have this like. I wasn't enamored. There was that, right. but I was like very much committed to why we were there. Mm. And Zach Barrows, um, Zach, who we love so much, oh. he—I think him we and gotta like Lauren.
0: We to get
1: him on here. Oh yeah, absolutely do
0: that one. I'm that um, one. I'm excited for.
1: <laughs> oh, he's so good. I mean, I honestly think like him and you know Lauren fine. yeah like they saw something in me that like entrusted me with things on, like, a big scale that I didn't know I could do, Mm. right? Like, I didn't, and I think it was the reason it changed so much of, like, what would come next is because I finally kind of found my people. Like, I found these, like, gritty, good-hearted, hopeful, kind, funny, agile, like, belief that the world could be better because we were actually seeing how awful it could be, and yet we, like, believed that by, like, hard work, and community, and storytelling, and experience that we could change something, and, like, I really deeply, like, believed that to my core as a person, regardless of IC, so, like, it just, it, it invited me into this space kind of unexpectedly of, like, oh, I actually can be a part of, like, kind of answering this, this part of me that's there that I just didn't have, like, I didn't have a, an avenue to, like, lean into, and, I'd always loved experience, but I had no mentor- mentorship or, like, invitation to explore doing it from an event perspective. Or, yeah. like, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm 24 being asked to leave this, like, international, like, right. multi-day summit. And then I find, like, oh, I love this. Mm. Like, I love it. And um, I think just the things that it opened up in me were something that I could have never probably found anywhere
0: else you're you're making me tear up Suze. i got chills (laughs) i've got chills like you're taking the words out of my mouth like i i've said it so many times too you know one of the reasons i have so many guests from invisible children is because of the amazing people um and, and just the things that people are doing all around the world that came from this little organization that was making a lot of noise in the world at the time and um you know, I feel the same. I think that for so long, I I, I wanted, I believed in myself, but I hadn't had necessarily the opportunities uh, for other people to really believe in yeah. in me. And I think that Invisible Children really empowered uh, us as as oh, volunteers, as workers, to be the best versions of ourselves and to to take on responsibility that we would never have the opportunity to have in any other setting. And so. It's projected me into the life that I have now, and um, I, I can I feel everything that you just said very deeply.
1: Yeah, and I it was a beautiful place. I mean, it also was freaking exhausting. Oh yeah, <laughs> we, like, worked our it was shit, off,
0: for a lot of it times, was but
1: awful. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we slept on floors and we're poor, but like, we're so happy. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, yeah.
0: It's just that meaning, it's that value that we were given, and. And that purpose that you woke up every single day knowing yeah. that your responsibilities were important to a greater cause. And it was a small piece of something bigger than, than you and bigger than us, mm-hmm. bigger than, you know, an organization. It was, it was something that was important for the world.
1: And I think even, you know, when I think about the parts of me that felt like, Oh, I, it took a while cause I didn't like innately feel like I fit in at Invisible children, mm um but that didn't last I just didn't that wasn't my initial feeling but I but I also had never met anyone from children so I had no like context but I you know I think there's a part of me like when I was 13 like studying the holocaust I remember having this really clear like grief Mm. and this thought of like where was the world like I'm reading all these facts as a as a kid, like I'm 13 and I'm like a big part of my church and they talk about justice and faith and mercy. And I'm like, where was the church? Like, where was the world? Like, how did all of these people die? And, Hmm. and I remember having this deep grief of like, this should not have been this should not have happened and and then like and also looking at this survivor who as he shared his story like had lost everything as a child and remembering like if he can survive that and be kind i can survive anything and be kind
2: yeah
1: and also like i will be a part of like fighting for people Mm. it was like this really clear set like just kind of like commitment i made to myself so i think it created this opportunity to like put that into real life and Mm -hmm. and 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 then I was like entrusted to create experience that inspired and mobilized and equipped people to then go do it in their own space and that just like made sense to me Mm -hmm. um but I had never had the opportunity to lean into that because you know my family was highly uneducated I mean my older sister I mean my mom did graduate nursing school but not until her 40s and like we just were not a family that innately like had big dreams ahead of us. Right. And, but I had always felt like there was more I was meant to do or be a part of. There just was not a roadmap in front of me. So I think that's why, and I couldn't have done invisible children had I not done Bar Harbor. Like I needed, I needed to go and be like brave and walk into like total.
2: Yeah.
1: Like a total unknown landscape and then just be a 22 year old kid and like, play and have friends and dance my little heart out and drink every Friday night, like, and, you know, and have fun, and then, and then just, like, got, and I also, like, throughout everything I've ever done felt really led, like, I mean, I when especially when I was, like, very anti-church and anti-God, I, like, would not have said this, but, like, I mean, I very, I very much felt led by the Spirit and Mm. by Spirit, and that is what, like, led me, it's this innate part of myself that I trust, Mm. and, it's what, like, let me get on a plane to go to Bar Harbor. It's what, like, got me on a plane to go to San Diego. It's, like, what led me to Nashville. It's just, like, you know, and, and I have language for that now, but, like, then I didn't. And, right. And, I, I mean, that's why the, those seasons were so important. And it just became my – it was my story. Like, it wasn't
2: – Yeah.
0: But that it spills over of, into to everything I've been a part of with you. You know, yeah. your relentless pursuit of mm-hmm. a dream. And mm-hmm. and uh, you you can see it throughout your story of this you know this relentless pursuit of finding you and finding who yeah. you are and becoming, Susanna Hendricks.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it I feel I feel like it, it's interesting you know to to watch you kind of go through this process go through your life, and have that success and to find that and and to know. To know your past, but to also see who you are, you know, from from a friend like you know, from me, from my perspective as your friend, it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's it's so cool to see. And I think, Thank you. and I hope that <laughs> I hope that everybody listening can can pull from your story the fact that there's always hope and to keep finally fighting, fighting and yeah, to fight so with relentless pursuit of finding yourself and and um not stopping and not accepting the status quo not accepting you know the things that have happened to you but rewriting that and making that part of your story but not your story
1: yeah well thank you and I apologize there's lots of background noise right now because oh, you're there's fine. like lots of cars but um, you know I I deeply. Truly, like, I've always believed that you just have choice. And it doesn't mean that life doesn't get fucking hard. Excuse my language. Like, the last nine months of my life have been very hard. And life, and I've gone through moments where I'm like, wow, this is, like, going to cut me at the knees, And I actually don't know if I can do this. Mm. Like, I've had moments like that many times in my life. But I think there's also this, like, there is this innate belief that I'm, even at my lowest and, like, Hardest and scariest moments, like I still can come back to, of just like life is meant to be more whole. It's Mm. meant to be more full. It's meant to be more loving. It's 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 meant to be more kind. And trauma and violence and whatever these things are that infiltrate our life, greed, whatever it is, it's like ego. I mean, it could be many things, right? It's like they're not as it should be, but it's still you still have choice like in how you respond to it. And also, I would, I mean, people might laugh at me, but I don't care. It's real for me. (laughs) Is that, like, I truly, like, I watched Oprah every day of Mm -hmm. my life as a young person from, like, four years old until I was 19. And she was, I mean, actually, I'll take that back. If I had a hero, it was Oprah. And it truly was because she was, like, my, she was my teacher every day. I watched her show, and she was, like, the parent i didn't have she was like the person like sharing stories in really brave ways and bold ways and like looking people in the eyes and saying like that was not okay (laughs) or like like, i hear you and like i i like feel what you're saying like i watched her every day from like as young as i can remember and i think that just like unconsciously and unknowingly to me as like a young person, just like instilled this deep belief that like people are good. Like, mm. and you always just have choice. Right. And you have a choice in how you show up in really hard and painful moments too. So it's, you know, there's a lot that like goes into that, but yeah. I think it's not that I'm always <laughs> resiliently hopeful. I'd like but my nature is, is resiliently hopeful mm. even even when that's like super
0: battered and tired. Suze, we've got, you know, probably like five to eight minutes here um, before we close things out. You left Invisible Children. um, You know, you've you've kind of gone through, you were at Invisible Children, even after I left, you know, helping produce some, some major events that took place there. And you left, and, and you pursued some of your own things, uh, pursued your own business, pursued your own, yeah. um, you know, thing. You've worked at various events. Um, you've brought me along for a lot of those. It's <laughs> been I'm so grateful. Um, it's it's so
1: glad you came. <laughs> literally
0: changed my life. Uh, we wouldn't be talking on this podcast today if it wasn't for mm. you. And that's a that's a true statement.
1: What
0: an honor. And. You know, as we as we kind of like start to wrap things up, yeah, um, you know, we've had a few guests on from uh, international justice mission and from the event mm-hmm. that you know okay. you allowed me to participate in and, and be a part yeah. of, which I'm so grateful, uh, which really was a catalyst to you know this podcast. So um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I'm. I'm referring to I guess but yeah you know after completing that event you've had a lot of things so it's about a year and a half ago you know in the last couple of years yeah. mm-hmm. you know we kind of touched on the very beginning but you've had a lot of events kind of unfold yeah. in you know about five minutes or so uh can you kind of sum up and, and kind of talk through some of the events that have taken place over the last year and a half
1: sure um well I like things for your words about the event and i'm so thankful you were there you've many times Mm. been my like anchor in really stressful (laughs) situations i'm really thankful for that um yeah the igm event was just yeah like such an amazing and like kind of once in a lifetime experience to be a part of and help lead and yeah really really thankful for that um yeah, I mean, I so as I kind of mentioned in the very beginning, like I moved west um, to be closer to my family, which now after my much of my life story probably makes sense. Mm. And trying to like really sit in step into a season of building a relationship and be closer. I have a niece now, and like just wanted to you know be more present because I had like lived all over the country and worked on these like massive projects, which had taken a lot of my time and focus and um, so I stepped away from like a lot of really important community that I have and had built over really the last 10 years, um, to come to the Northwest and about, you know, a couple weeks after we'd lost a community member with Invisible Children, I came yeah. officially to the Northwest and then my mom suffered a really severe stroke and wasn't expected to survive. And she did, um, thankfully, but mm. also, you know, really it's like that. That, like tension of like you're so you're so thankful that this person that you love and have you know is your parent that has survived and also just like so tragic. Um, she's you know severely disabled and's been a really long nine months and um, but she's you know with us and healing and trying um, to recover as much as possible but it has forever altered her and then kind of simultaneously as that happened, My youngest sister, Mary, has Down syndrome, and she's seven years younger than I am, but her mom had been her full-time caregiver Mm. forever, and so overnight, you know, we had really big, difficult decisions to make, Um, and this is just a PSA for everyone. (laughs) If (laughs) if you do not have a healthcare power of attorney or a Mm. financial power of attorney or a will in place, Please. As soon as you stop listening to this, go get it done. (laughs) I'm like it. My mom did not, and it was one of the most painful experiences to walk through. Yeah, um, in the midst of like life and death decisions Mm. and. And I like, I now I'm in the process of doing my own. So I'm like, I just, yeah, very deeply believe in getting that done. So we in the last 10 months have really walked through some big things. I in early September became the guardian of my little sister. And then simultaneously was being offered this role um, at Salesforce. Yeah. And so she does not primarily live with me full time. She is right now because of COVID-19 and global pandemic. But um, yeah, I mean, the last nine months I've started a new job in a new sector, became a guardian. I've been in like, you know, I've lived away from my like immediate family for a really long time. And, you know, all of a sudden we're just kind of thrust into like really high stakes, high stress, um, high trauma together as adults. Um, And so, yeah, just navigating a lot of new things. And in a moment we're like, I mean, for as long as you've known me, Shane, like, I've had really robust, like, community around yeah. me and have been a big part of that community, and, and I'm, like, really isolated in this, like, new season, but, like, there's, my, like, kind of favorite word is, like, just, like, sweet mercy that keeps popping up of, like, really special people that just kind of have found their way into my life in this yeah. season, and, um, yeah, so that's, like, a spark note that's been going
0: yeah, on. Yeah, for sure, and, I sorry, I know we're kind of running out of time, so,
1: no, otherwise we could
0: go more into into that but uh yeah thank you for sharing I have yeah. a few questions here at the end yes okay they're the toughest ones of the bunch so you know Ooh. I soften you up throughout the first you know 80 minutes and <laughs> then I really minutes. hit you <laughs> Suze what would you say you're most proud of to date
1: hmm. most proud of um like in life or work or just all of it Sure. Okay. I would say, <laughs> I would say, as a person, I'm most proud that uh, my life is full of people full of light mm. and people full of kindness and um, and just really deeply good people. Um, that feels like such a privilege and and such a like a marked. Part of my life, like there's, and and I just feel really like honored and really proud that that's like the life that I've built. Um, not even like <laughs> intentionally, just like you know, just being present with the people that came into my world. So, like you, and yeah, yeah I would say that's like something I'm like the most proud of, cool. and yeah.
0: Do you have any goals or ambitions? What are you looking forward to most in the future?
2: Ooh,
1: just a just a great. time
0: check. We've got like three minutes before I have to cut. Okay,
1: off. great. Okay, so my top three are I want to open a retreat center um, that's like boutique hotel meets retreat center that becomes like a haven for creatives,
2: humanitarian yes.
1: workers, leaders. I mean, it could be business, it could, I mean, whoever needs to be there, but this just like haven of healing and of rest. Did you say that's um, going to
0: be in South Florida?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. All right, just um, checking yeah but you are welcome anytime <laughs> um, but to have this just like space that is you know is healing and hospitality at the yeah. same time but is not just like a counseling center um, and then my other one is that I want to publish at least one book
2: mm.
1: and then my third is that I want to produce a film so those are like big goals Heck but then yes. my like fourth my fourth like one is the one that I just keep at the top of everything which is I want to like, have coffee slash dinner with oprah so badly and not be not as like a super fan but like as i like you like your story like helped me know that i could have this like story that i'm living and yeah so that's one of my other dreams <laughs> not,
0: not that my reach is this big but i've i wrote oprah down when you mentioned her earlier good old harpo over here and uh i don't have quite that reach but we'll give it a try we'll we'll make sure we tag her and get her <laughs> you know attention
2: great
0: yes Sue, before we close things out i got one last question yeah. looking mm-hmm. back what advice would you tell little Hmm, it's
1: a great question i would tell little Sue's to remember that wonder is real mm. and that the wonder that like she felt as a child like to like stay true to it mm. and um, and then I would also tell her that like you can do really hard things, and you will like be okay.
0: I love it. I love you, Suze. Yeah. Thank you so much for on the show. I love you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's been a real treat. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's yeah, such a joy. So proud of you for inviting people to share their stories. It's like a powerful forum.
0: For sure. Thank you all so much for listening. Your contribution helps us tell more story like Suze, and stories just like yours. Speaking of contributions, visit us on Facebook and Instagram. There you can like and comment on our posts. If you want to go above and beyond, please share the Crazy Face Uno podcast with your friends, and family, or just random strangers on the street. We're welcome to everyone. Thank you all again for listening, for tuning in. We love y'all.